Well, we want to say good morning and welcome to each of you. Thank you for joining us uh, as we continue our series, Hope in a Hopeless World. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles and let's go to Revelation chapter 7. You know, there, there are a lot of questions that people have concerning the book of Revelation and some of them we can absolutely answer, uh, but we also have to be honest. There are some uh, that we're going to be unable to answer because God has not revealed the answer to us. And so uh, there are times that we have to be very careful about being dogmatic on issues. Um, but there is one question that's often asked, and it can actually be answered at least partially here. And that question is this. Uh, will there be people saved during that seven-year period leading up to the return of Christ known as the tribulation period? Well, our text for today is actually going to answer that question for us. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to give us all of the specifics, but it does show us a glorious truth about who God is. Fact of the matter, the one big thing is that because of who God is, God will save people and he will show his faithfulness to his children during the tribulation. So let's look at it together. Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to begin in verse 1. It says this, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Asher uh, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephtalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And God, I know that we have a lot of questions and we desire to have all of the answers. But Lord, let us remember uh, what was written in Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which he has given us are for us and our children, that we may be able to do all the words of this law. And so, uh, Lord, that, that verse reminds us that there are some things we're just not going to know. There are things we're not going to understand. But the things that we truly need to know, such as who you are and what you have done, who man is, 
uh, how we can be saved. You have given us those answers. And so, Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to study your word and depend on you to teach us and to draw us into your presence. And so, Lord God, as always, when we study your word, we pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the one big thing is that because of who God is, God will save people. And he's going to show his faithfulness to his children during this time. So let's go ahead and answer the question. In the tribulation, will God save people? Yes. The phrase after these things is John showing us that the action in Revelation is moving along. So this sealing of the 144,000 of chapter 7, it's going to take place between the 6th and the 7th seal judgments. Now that 7th seal, when it's opened, it introduces that second set of, of judgments. So we see kind of a divine pause in Um, God's uh, judgment to fulfill his purpose. Chapter 7 really answers the question of Revelation 6 verse 17. At the very end it says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Well, the only people that are going to be able to stand are those that have that mark of the Father on them. Okay, That seal of the Father uh, here. Uh, what we see in Revelation is a contrast between those who have the seal of God the Father. Okay, They are uh, protected, they are loved, they are God's children, and then those who take the mark of uh, the beast, uh, which essentially marks them for their own death later on. Now, there is a lot of speculation as to whether or not Uh, The number 144,000 is a literal number or it is symbolic. And and then you go into the, well, what about the multitudes of uh, Revelation 7-9? Now, we see a very familiar uh, pattern in this uh, text here. All right? Uh, And it's throughout the book of Revelation. First, John hears Something In this case, he hears the number 144,000 of the tribes of Israel are saved. But then, uh, in chapter 7, verse 9, John turns around and he sees this great multitude. All right, now, I don't want us to get bogged down by uh, the identity and all of these uh, things. Instead, what we need to focus on is the fact that there are people who are saved by God's grace, whether they were Jews or whether they are Gentiles. We see it as the same God, the same grace, the same faith in the gospel that saves them. And that's the the primary takeaway that we want to have. Okay, instead of trying to... uh, understand everybody's identity and figure out all the symbols, what we need to latch onto is this, that salvation is still by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, so John is talking, an elder is talking to John here, and he asks an interesting question in verse 13. He says, John, where did this multitude 
come from? You know, that, that multitude of chapter 7, verse 9, well, where do they come from? Now, again, this is a very uh, common technique used in Scripture. Uh, it's one that Jesus employed in the Gospels many times. Uh, and it's this, when the question was asked, it's not because the person didn't know the answer to the question. Instead, it was a way for them to go, hey, I want you to see something. I want you to really pay attention because this is very, very important. So the elder asked, well, who are these people? Not because he doesn't know who they are, but because he wants to clue John in on these are people that are saved in the tribulation. Now, how could we possibly know that? We know it because the description in the verses, okay, they they are in white robes and waving palm branches. They're saying, you know, salvation belongs to our God. Uh, who sits on the throne. Now remember, John is writing as a prisoner to the church that's being persecuted. They, they wanted to know, like a lot of us, is there light at the end of this tunnel? When a person came to faith, especially if they were Jewish, when they came to accept the gospel, it came at a high price. Something that, that frankly, we here in America, we don't quite understand. Now, I think we're getting a little bit of a glimpse, but not, not to their degree. But this, this was a church, okay, these seven churches in Asia Modern, they are experiencing intense persecution under the Roman Empire, following Christ was costing them a lot. In some cases, it was costing them their life. And so they're kind of like, is it worth it? I mean, is, is there light at the end of this tunnel? And John is going, yes. Yes, there is. All of the suffering that we're going through will not change the fact that if we have surrendered to the gospel, we are eternally saved and secured by God. So this is the good news that, yes, there is persecution. Yes, there is difficulty in life. But if you are God's child, nothing can separate you from God. You know, I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John 16 and verse 33 uh, when he said, you know, in this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so we want to understand what's going on here. That yes, God is going to save people by his grace and for his glory. But then there's a second thing that we see in this text, and it is that God will shepherd his people. While we tend to focus on whether or not people will be saved during the tribulation, we often miss something even more comforting, especially for God's children right now. Okay, Look at what it says in verses 16 and 17. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. 
The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In these verses, we really see some aspects of a shepherd that Jesus performs for his children. The first is that he provides for them. Now, this is imagery certainly taking us back to Psalm 23, uh, where David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay, notice all of the things that the shepherd is doing to provide for his children. Of course, Jesus also promises in Matthew 6 that he will provide for his children's need. And so we don't need to worry about the day-to-day life struggles. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 and verse 19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so we can be comforted that even in the middle of difficulties in life, God will provide for his children. The second aspect of the shepherd, though, in Revelation 7, is that Jesus will protect his sheep. Now, I'm not saying that God's children aren't going to suffer in this life. We absolutely will. One thing that uh, Christians have got to Uh, realize is if they persecuted and eventually executed Jesus, then his children are not going to get a free pass from persecution and difficulty in this world. But again, we want to be comforted by realizing that we will never be in danger of losing our standing with God because that was secured not because of our faithfulness, but rather because of the faithfulness of Jesus in going to the cross. It is the blood of Jesus that secures our place in God's family. Jesus talks about it in in John 10. He says that no one's going to be able to snatch you out of my hand or out of my Father's hand. Okay, if we were to return back to Psalm 23, listen to what David begins to write in, in verse 4. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, this is David writing of what God does for his children. David is ultimately pointing us to Jesus, who is the good shepherd. He has promised to provide for us. He has promised to protect us as his sheep. So, What I want us to get this morning, church, is is this, that regardless of what we're facing in life, we can know that we are secured by the blood of Jesus and nothing is ever going to change that. We can 
We can know beyond the shadow of the doubt that God is with us, that God is going to provide for us, and that he is going to protect us and ultimately bring us into his eternal presence. And so that should give us hope and joy and peace this morning as we continue to navigate life. Okay, and all the COVID-19 and the racial unrest and the political unrest and uh, all of this stuff, the child of God can still smile and worship and praise God because of what Jesus has done for us. And so in light of that, what is it that you and I ought to be doing? Well, the first thing is we need to praise God for salvation. You've heard me say it many times the scandal of the cross is not that God would allow someone to go to hell the scandal of the cross is that he would save any of us in the first place why do we need to teach the law in the old testament because as Paul says in the new testament the law reveals the sinfulness of man. And when I know what sin is, then really sin becomes exceedingly sinful to me. You know, if we never heard about sin, if we never knew the holiness and the righteousness of God, then we would be tempted to believe, like many in the world do, that, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. Have you ever noticed how we create this um, hierarchy of sin and we judge our quote-unquote goodness based on the evil that we see in other people? Yet when I compare my life to Jesus, when I compare my life to the holiness of God and the absolute perfection of God, then my guilt is no longer in question. Okay, I, I will come to understand that God would have every right to condemn me. You know, a lot of people, they they get caught up in being concerned about what other people uh, think about them or even say about them. And um, I I think it was C.S. Lewis, but I I might be wrong on that. Uh, He said, you know, I don't fear what other people say about me or, or think about me because if they knew everything about me, they'd think far worse of me. And the reality is this, we don't have to be afraid of what somebody finds out about us because God already knows everything about us and in his love and his grace, he still went to the cross to die in our place that we might be able to be saved. So we need uh, to to just praise God for salvation because the people reading John's letter uh, to them, they could rejoice despite their tribulation because they were still secure in Jesus. The 144,000 and the great multitude remind us of a great truth. As unfaithful as Israel was, as unfaithful to God as you and I sometimes can be, he is always faithful to his promises. We can never blow it so bad that God would ever 
turn his back on us. Now that doesn't give us license to sin, but it gives us all the reason in the world to rejoice and to praise God for what Jesus did at the cross and in the resurrection. And this is why, church, we also we need to have a sense of gospel urgency right now. The International Mission Board has uh, said there are approximately 11,243 people groups in the world. And God, has, I mean, he told us, I mean, did, did you read verse 9? Every nation, every tribe, every tongue are, are going to be around there. So there's going to be at least somebody from every one of those uh, people groups because God is faithful. But I want us to hear some sobering information right now. As of today, there are still 3,150 people groups that are unengaged and unreached. In other words, 3,150 people groups around the world have not been exposed to the gospel. Now, on top of that, there's another 3,900 people groups that are engaged but still not really reached. Now, what's the difference between engaged but not reached? Well, engaged means that 2% of that population, 2% of that people group are Christians. So that that still leaves 98% of that people group is, is lost. So, out of 11,243 people groups, 7,050 of them have less than 2 per, 2% or fewer Christians in it. Church, that means that 63% of the world's population doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. How can we be okay with this? While we we praise God for his faithfulness, I praise God for, for saving me and, and many of my family, and I praise God for those that he saved, you know, who are here uh, this morning. But guys, we have a lot of work to do. If we really believe that Jesus could return at any moment, then how can we sit back and not actively, intentionally, passionately be sharing the gospel? Which really leads me to my final application point for the morning, and it's this. We need to follow the shepherd. On Wednesday night, I said, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're not, uh, we're not trying to start a, a new thing. As Christians, our job is to continue the work that was begun by Christ. Jesus said in John 10 that his sheep will hear his voice and get this, they will follow him. That means... That those who belong to God obey God. A verse that, that we've used many times, Luke 6, 46, when Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord 
and not do the things that I've commanded you to? The number one command given to Jesus' disciples or go make disciples of all nations. We make disciples through evangelism, intentionally sharing the gospel, and by teaching those who are saved by his grace, teaching them to observe, that is to obey, what God has commanded of us. Now, I'm, I'm going to be unapologetic for continuing to bring this up over and over. But every Christian... If you want to be serious about growth and you want to be what God has called you and created you to be, if you're going to be a disciple maker, then you need to be a part of three intentional uh, times of worship and learning every single week. The first one is corporate worship. Congratulations. We all got that, right? You're here. The second is You need to get together to worship, encourage, and be equipped in Sunday school. All right, now, here at Westlake, we call it Sunday school. Uh, Some places call it small groups, life groups, whatever it is. But these, these times of Bible study should be intentionally evangelistic. So I want to challenge every person who is already in a Sunday school or small group Bible study, I want to challenge you to do something this week. I want to challenge you to pray for the lost, but also invite at least one to your Bible study next Sunday. The reality is we have to, in many instances, win people to us so that we can introduce them to Christ so God can win them to him. That requires us to be intentional about making relationships with people. And finally, you should be in a discipleship group. Here, we call them core groups. It's the smallest of groups. It only contains three to five people. They're made up of believers only. Meet once a week for 60 to 90 minutes for purposes. Study, pray, Memorize and accountability. Now, we do things this way because it's the example that Jesus gave us in the Gospels. While a lot of churches are are trying to grow big by having these large attractional uh, events, we see Jesus really do the exact opposite. How did a movement that started with 12 guys grow to 120 uh, by the end of his ministry and then, you know, explode from there. I'll tell you how. They were intentional about loving God and obeying him. It wasn't by going out and doing these big mass campaigns, though there's a time and a place for them. Don't misunderstand me. Okay, we see the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching to a a large crowd. But the majority of the ministry was to the few. And so as we focus on these smallest of groups, these discipleship groups, as we as disciples grow, 
deeper in our relationship with God and loving one another, watch this. As I grow deeper roots, God begins to branch things out. So we need to understand the, the vitalness of discipleship. If we want to see God save people, then we've got to follow in his footsteps. We have to be doing the things that Jesus did. So my question to you, if you're a Christian this morning, is this. Are you? If not, what's, that, what's the next step you need to take? Now, for some of you this morning, you have never surrendered to the gospel. And this is where everybody has to begin. The question of our sinfulness isn't up for debate. The question of do we deserve judgment isn't up for debate. The only thing that's up for debate, so to speak, is will we surrender our heart and our life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will we trust in His grace and be saved. Now, for some of you, you have been saved, but you've never followed through uh, with baptism. I think it's important that we notice that within the Great Commission, you know, where Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, what does he then say? Baptizing them. Okay, uh, does baptism save you? Absolutely not. But it is an outward evidence to those around you that you have surrendered to the grace of the gospel. You are a child of God. And so maybe for you, the next step is you you say, you know what, I, I need to follow in baptism. There should be no such thing as an unbaptized believer and disciple of Jesus Christ unless there are some serious, extenuating circumstances. Now, for some of you this morning, the, the next step is going to be you, you need to get into a small group Bible study, uh, Sunday school here or, or you know, wherever you may be listening. You've been, maybe you've been attending worship for a while, but you've never really gotten into that biblical community. And so I want to challenge you to take that next step. For some of you, it's time to get off the sidelines of disciple-making and start being intentional about making disciples. And that means getting into a discipleship group where men are with men, ladies are with ladies. And listen, pray about who, who should be in your group. Because you're going to go deeper in your relationship with Christ and, frankly, with those of your group than probably you've ever done in normal church life. It's so don't do it haphazardly. Do it intentionally. Do it with a desire to grow closer to God and closer to one another. So no matter what the next step is for you, today's the day to take that step. Now's the time. Stop putting it off. 
You know what God is saying to you. I mean, you you felt the Holy Spirit speaking to you and and drawing you. I I, I trust it, not because I'm a gifted communicator uh, by any means but because I rely on the promise of God. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says, the word uh, that goes out, it will not return void, but it will accomplish what God desires it to. And so if God is speaking to you, then this is the time for you to respond. If you've got questions, you, you need help knowing uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus, what, cl- what Sunday school class is right for me, um, you know, what, what's involved in a discipleship group, please come see me. Uh, I'm more than willing to sit down right after the service. We can talk. Um, you know, if you want to set it up, we can uh, meet uh, in person this week or we can do a video call, phone call, whatever it is. But whatever the next step is, today's the day. So let's take that next step together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. and uh, Lord, I just, I trust and I, I believe the promises of your word that you are going to use your word to accomplish what you desire. Father, maybe, maybe there are those that need to surrender their life this morning to you. And I, God, I pray that even now uh, they would just begin praying. They, they don't have to know all the words. Lord, if you're giving them the grace to believe in the gospel, then they're able to acknowledge their sin and believe that you died in their place, that you rose from the dead. So Lord, help them just to cry out from their heart to you, knowing that you and your grace will save them. For some, God, they've just been going through the motions. It's easier just to come to worship and be a part of a big group uh, where you can kind of have some anonymity and never really know anybody or not be known by somebody. But Father, you have called us into intimate community with you and with others. And so I pray that this morning, Lord, they would see their need for that Bible study group. But Lord, if we have truly been saved, you call all of us to make disciples. And the truth is, on our own, we're going to be sporadic at best. But most likely, we're not even going to strive for it. But when we have somebody holding us accountable, who loves us, and we're holding them accountable, then God, we are so much more intentional about obeying you. And so, Lord, I pray for every disciple who is not a part of an accountability uh, discipleship group, Lord, I pray that you would move in their heart to be a part of one. And, Lord, maybe there's some other things that you're saying to, to people. Maybe there's some sins that are uh, tripping them up and, Father, you're just asking them to to lay it down, to confess it to you. God, I'm not even going to pretend to know everything that you're saying to people who are here. But Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would move as he has spoken. And God, that we would love you enough to respond.
to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.